Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. We're starting a new series called The Pursuit of Joy. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Hello there, and welcome to the Believer's Church Podcast. A podcast about real people, real problems, and real answers. Podcasting from the beautiful East Tennessee mountains. Here's your host, Pastor Mike Friday. You know, true joy is a choice that springs forth from that, which is a rock-solid constant. Can you think of a time in your life you would say, it was just the most joyful time? Maybe you had children, you got married. I mean, and do you think you'll ever experience joy to that degree again? You know, Paul used words that indicate joy 14 times in the book of Philippians. He also refers to the mind a number of times. Paul wrote his letter from prison, but he wrote about joy. Crazy, right? Paul does not define joy necessarily as a subjective reality or as an emotional response or circumstances, because we tend to think of joy as an emotional reaction to positive things in our lives. And there's just so much more to it. So in chapter 1, we see how to maintain our joy, kind of despite our circumstances. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to just hit the pause button on the podcast and read Philippians 1, 3 through 11. Because in 3 through 11, Paul's conversations with God, you know, Paul remembered his positive, productive experiences with the Philippian Christians. In in particular, Paul, his petitions for the Philippian believers were infused with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, the term partnership translates the Greek word koinonia, which comes from a verb meaning to share or to associate oneself with, to be made a partner. And then in verse 6, Paul says, of course, and, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul expressed his confidence in the Philippian Christians, and his confidence was in their spiritual growth. And his, his certainty of this was not really based on his ability or their efforts, but on God, who had started a good work in them. The beginning of God's good work occurred when the believers placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I told you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. So Paul and the Philippian believers shared in a common just enterprise, and that was this, spreading the gospel, spreading the gospel. In verses 8 and 9, out of his deep care for his friends, Paul continually prayed for them. He wanted their love to keep on growing. And Paul pointed to really two areas in which he prayed for the Philippian Christians. One was that their love would overflow, just a, not just an average kind of love. This is just an overflowing, oozing kind of love. And also that their knowledge and that they would have knowledge in every kind of discernment. Why? Look at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Now, Christ's love must be informed and insightful. More than wanting his friends to be able to distinguish right from wrong, Paul wanted them to choose the best over the merely good. And the Philippian Christians' ability to distinguish the excellent from the merely good would enable them to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Now, in verse 11, it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul wanted his friends to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, the qualities that righteousness produces in believers. You know, righteousness is a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. In that relationship, Christ indwells believers and works to cause their lives to reflect his character. Believers 
are to be filled with the spiritual qualities righteousness produces so that God will be glorified and praised. God's glory is his redemptive character revealed. And we glorify God when our lives give evidence of his redemptive power and draw others to him. And we praise God when we recognize his redemptive character and express our gratitude. How is it that Paul seemed to connect to community, even though he's in this isolated state and in, in prison? There's three gifts Paul expressed to them in, this, in these verses. The first one was gratitude. You see it there in verses 3 through 5. The second one is confidence, verse 6, and then hope, verses 9 through 11. And this is the first key that we want to be able to understand and look that we're not in this together. We have other believers around us. Paul's saying, hey, we're in this together, church and Philippi. And we got to spread the gospel, and I need you. And whatever difficulty, whatever you may be going through in your life, listen, you are not alone. You should have other brothers and sisters around you, the local church, other Christians. You know the worst thing you can do is what you feel like doing, and that's isolate yourself. And Paul was physically isolated. But he chose not to take on a mindset where he was in it alone. Instead, he thought about others. He prayed for them. He hoped for them. And we're terribly mistaken about the purpose of the body of Christ if we only allow ourselves to open up when we are in a difficult, or when things are, I should say, when things are going really well. We should give ourselves and draw near to God's people in the midst of our pain. Hey, why don't you stop now? Hit the pause button. Read Philippians 1, 12 through 18. And in 12 through 18, even though Paul was allowed to live in his own rented residence, you can see that from Acts 28, 30, he remained chained to a Roman soldier. Undoubtedly, he's talked to these soldiers about becoming Christians, and perhaps some did. The entire imperial court knew that Paul's imprisonment was for Christ's sake. Furthermore, Paul's boldness in sharing his faith in Christ had inspired confidence in some of the believers this gospel, their boldness was inspired by Paul's courage in the face of, this, his, of his life-threatening imprisonment, right? So some were preaching Christ, though, and you look at this passage, because they were envious of Paul, if you, if you read the scripture. But others were proclaiming Christ out of goodwill. But you see, both groups Paul mentioned, they were preaching Christ. The only difference was their motives for doing so. Nothing suggests that the first group was proclaiming a false message, their message was theologically correct, it appears, but their motives were wrong. Nevertheless, Paul rejoiced because the message of Christ was being proclaimed. And this kind of rejoicing, however, doesn't mean that Paul approved of wrong motives. You say, well, why wasn't Paul ticked off about being in prison? You know, good things were happening, and Paul could see it because his focus wasn't on himself. His purpose and utmost focus in life was on the advancement of the gospel. And as a result, Paul didn't wait around until his circumstances were better uh, to live in joy. He was wanting to live in joy no matter what his circumstances. And you know, his purposes didn't depend on his circumstances, only on Christ's power. So keep your eyes on the moment. God wants to use you. Look for ways to advance the gospel. That's verses 12 through 14. Look for ways to encourage others, verse 14. Look beyond your opposition, verses 15 through 18. You know, it's kind of silly. It's just a, just a silly mistake, if you ask me, to procrastinate your joy until everything is lined up in your life. And it's silly because it is in your bad circumstances that God often does his most miraculous work. 
Now let's read Philippians 1, verses 19 through 30. Hit the pause button. Read Philippians 1, 19 through 30. And of course, there in, Paul, in verse 19, Paul is going to remain very optimistic. Then we get to, to 20. Uh, literally, the word ashamed there means put to shame. It implies cowering or running battle or embarrassment. Paul expected that Christ would be highly honored in his body. The physical body symbolizes earthly life on earth. If Christ is not glorified in the body, he's really not glorified. Further, Paul hoped Christ would also be glorified in his death. Now, in verses 21 through 24, living as Christ restates the theme of verse 20, meaning if he carried on living, every aspect of Paul's life would continue to reveal Christ, which would make his life fruitful and worthwhile. Likewise, his death would be gained since it would usher him into Christ's presence. So Paul felt pressured, in other words, in a dilemma, acknowledging the benefits of both outcomes here. And then we go on and we read verses 25 through through 28, and Paul's like, live your life. In other words, conduct yourself as citizens. And this is alluding to Philippi's political history, reminding the church of its higher citizenship in the kingdom of God. And Paul's primary concern is that you're standing firm in one spirit, one spirit and one mind. There's not several spirits running around the church. There's one, and it should be the gospel, and it should be the one of God's word. You see, Roman armies stood ready for combat, regardless of the enemy's level of strength and preparedness or the distracting enticements of culture. The church must manifest the same kind of readiness. That's what Paul was talking about. So he's saying one spirit, which expresses the believer's unified attitude. And one mind meaning same soul, means that believers share life. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to be. That's the way the local church is supposed to function. And so together they prevent this divisiveness like Paul witnessed in Rome. Standing firm involves working side by side with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And harmony, not individualism, achieves God's purposes. And I might say standing also involves not being frightened by your opponents. In verses 29 through 30, given there means by grace, actually indicates that God graces Christians to believe and suffer on Christ's behalf. Both, both contribute to Christ's glory. And you're thinking, well, what did he know? Well, you know Paul understood how this thing ends. Sometimes when circumstances are especially difficult, we, under, we understand what Paul wrote in verse 23, but that's usually a tired, I'm done kind of attitude. Paul's choice of joy in his circumstances wasn't like that because of verse 24. It was a joy for God to use us to equip and encourage the church and evangelize the lost. Now, who are some people that you've invested in to this point that it's going to be hard for you to endure, endure joy? It's going to be difficulty uh, just kind of watching them grow in Christ, maybe your children, maybe someone really close to you. You know, when it's all about Jesus, there's always a reason for joy. When it's about Jesus, when it's all about Jesus, there's always a reason for joy. The reason why joy is, I think, elusive to some of us is because we've committed idolatry. That's right, idolatry. We receive, we receive joy too much from our children, our marriage, our job. So when that's removed, our joy is killed. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus will sustain you. You know, which of the following points maybe would you say, hey, I really need that, Pastor Mike, today? And there this. Number one, you're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. 
Or number two, God wants to use you. You think God can't use me? Yes, God wants to use you. And then the third one is this, Jesus will sustain you. He alone will sustain you. And then there's some exhortations I think we can take from this passage. Maybe what do you need of these three? Number one, keep your eyes on others. Know that you're not going through this alone. There's others here to go with you, whatever's going on in your life. Number two, keep your eyes on the moment. God wants to use you right where you're at. He doesn't want to wait till you get through the moment. He wants to use you in the moment. Or number three, keep your eyes on Jesus. And on a scale of one to ten, how much would you say you choose joy in your circumstances? Let's pray. Thank God. We thank you so much. You know how this ends. We know how this ends. Paul knew how this ends. Thank you for the church. and Thank you for the privilege of investing in the spiritual growth, growth of other people and for not letting any of our circumstances go to waste, God, and for your presence and your promises. And we invite you, God, as we choose joy, as we continue this series, The Pursuit of Joy. Thanks for listening to the Believer's Church Podcast. Visit us online at www.believerschurch.tv Facebook.com slash believerschurch.tv Follow Pastor Mike at twitter.com slash mikefriday and instagram.com slash mfreallife Check out the other podcasts all about life and the world. Until next time, keep it real and come on.